Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
right, welcome back to Heavy Metal Mayhem, another Sunday night of classic 80s underground heavy metal. We started things off tonight with Exodus, and then there were none. Uh, but hang on, my buddy Tommy is on the line. We got him right before the hockey game. T, what's happening? Good evening, my friend. What's going on? Good evening. Yeah, same old baloney. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I, last week I wanted, I didn't want to cut you off last week, but my headset went dead at the end of the show, right, right. and you couldn't hear me, so I figured, why don't you keep going? Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Yeah, I know something was going on. Yeah, there was a loose wire. You know, I've been using that for about two years now, that headset, so it was time for a new one. about time for a change. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of them here, but you can never tell when you're on the air if it's, you know, what the problem is, because you're doing a hundred other things, but... That's what it was. So we're back up and running today with a new microphone. So there you go. That's good. All right. Well, you know what? Tonight, Zach Stevens from Circle to Circle, Machines of Grace, Sabotage, TSO. And I did this interview was a while. I did this one a while ago uh, with a, this young kid called Alex Gutierrez. It's from a Canadian thrashman called Martillery. Oh, I forgot all about this interview for some reason. I, I did it, and it kind of got lost in the shuffle with all the guests we have on here. So I figured I'll air that tonight because I know you can only hang around for the first half of the show. Yeah. So and they're a great young band too. It's a shame it was only a couple of weeks also. It's not too bad, but uh, we'll get that on also tonight. And I was just talking about Exodus. Exodus are on uh, the Metal Alliance tour. You know, uh, they're out there playing right now. So um, they're doing a couple of off shows where they're headlining, I guess, in different cities when I guess Metal Alliance tour isn't taking place on those nights. So they're, they're getting out there and playing a little bit. And when, when I go back to their old Exodus name with Paul Bailoff, I. I you know, I always said they should have been in the you know the, the big fourth thrash, not friggin' Anthrax. They should be in there, but I'm not as crazy about the band today. Well, you know, with, the newer, with that newer singer. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not crazy about the, the last two or three records that they've put out. And you know, I'm not saying anything bad about him because I love his other band, Generation Kill. They're a great band, and I I really get into them. But just with Exodus, I, you know, I accepted Zetro when he was singing with them because he was very similar to to Paul. Right. You know, and like style and everything. But I, I just can't get into the can't get into the new uh, the new Exodus stuff. You know, Rob Dukes, like I said, is great with Generation Kill. I just can't get into it with the Exodus. So yeah, it's a different style of singing. You know? Yeah, yeah, he's got that. You know, borderline. Do you remember? I'm sorry to interrupt. You remember when uh, Exodus did a show at Lamar's and um, I think it was Paul was not able to sing, and they asked the audience, "Do you want us to cancel?" Or you want us to do a show with no vocals, like yeah. just instrumental? And I was like, yeah, just instrumental. And everybody sang the lyrics. And if you even if you don't know the lyrics, like I didn't know every lyric, I just you know, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know the tune. We, yeah, I know. Yeah, we just hummed the you know hummed along to yeah. it. It was it was great times. They show what. Unfortunately, they're never coming back. <laughs> so we, we relive them here each week with memories and music. That's all so you that's, can do these days. That's it, yeah, and just hope that, you know, uh, the younger generation picks up on that vibe and, um, you yeah. know. Exactly. Keeps well, it going. Uh, last Monday, Mr. Ken Pierce and I from PierceMail.com uh-huh. had an adventure going to the city for a Metal Monday night. Right, right. And uh, okay. Kenny and I will talk about that a little later on when he calls into the show. Uh, cool, cool. You, you missed out on a good time. I wish you could have made it. I know you had other things uh, happening that night. Yeah, we had. But, uh, we'll okay. try to do it again because it really was a great time over there and good people. And uh, we're going to help promote the hell out of that thing for them, Kenny and I. So we'll get into that a little bit more later on. But how about some tunes right now, T? Yeah, 
Excellent, man. All right, here's a set iron. We play the kill.
Okay, Hollow's Eve with the Mansion. I, I haven't heard much from those guys in a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, I want to say it was 2007 or 2008 they put the Neverending Sleep out, which was a really good record. Yeah. Uh, but I, from what I hear, uh, Tommy Stewart, who we had on the show, like one of the, was one of our first guests. He's one of the founding members of the band. I hear that he's not in the band anymore. So uh, I don't know who's left in there besides him and the singer. I think the only two original people left in the band. Uh, but they've been really quiet. I mean, you know... A lot of these bands don't take advantage of like you know what's going on right now, you know. Yeah, and the history that yeah, they hit. They're not taking advantage of the history and the resurgence, you know. Exactly, you know, uh, they have no presence on anywhere on the internet, and uh, I know it's not so easy to put out a record. Everybody says, "Oh, just put out a record. I just go out and play." I know it's not that easy, but do what you can while you know strike while the iron is hot and get out there. But I guess I haven't heard nothing uh, out of them since that interview, and uh, the album, you know, was a really good record, but it never went anywhere. Because they just weren't promoting it, and who knows what's going on with those guys. So if anybody has any information on Hollow's Eve, let me know. Because I've always been a big fan of theirs, and I was I was putting together a metal matinee the other day, you know, coming up in a few weeks, one of the timeline shows about Quiet Riot. Okay. And as I was going through, I was like, you know what, Quiet Riot is still playing. They're still out there. They just they just announced a whole bunch of shows, uh, you know, for the spring and summer. I'm like, yeah. there's no original members in that band. There's not one original member left in Kawhi Wright. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Frankie was with the band, like, you know, from the Mel Health days on. But, you know, the band was around, like, you know, seven, eight years before that. Sure. Uh, doing stuff, put albums out. He's not original. Then I saw that uh, uh, the drummer who plays in Manila Road, I just can't think of his name right now, he was also playing with Savage Grace for a while. They were a great band uh, out of L.A. back in the day. Kenny Powell was with them. He's got Omen now. And Chris Logue uh, was the only original guy left in the band. And he had to go with different, you know, different, uh, whatever you call the word. I'm trying to think of, you know, different versions of the group over the years. Right. He, nobody's heard from him at all over the last few years, even the guys that are in his band. Yeah. So they're doing the band without him. And none of them are original members. None of them are even members with them from the 80s. They're like guys that just joined over the last few years. Yeah. So, like, when when is it stopping? You got a band with no original members. And then you have a band that has actually no link at all towards the original group. And they're just playing, they're playing their music. Yeah. I mean, that guy Chris is probably in jail, if I remember. He was the guy that was impersonating a doctor in L.A., and he got caught, like, years ago. Oh, shit, yeah. But he did have the band going after that, but they they were saying they have no idea where he is. They can't get in touch with him, so they're continuing on. So I was thinking about doing a metal matinee in the future with about bands that are still playing today with no original members. Yeah. And I need, like, 11 or 12 bands to fill up the show. So I have two or three so far. So if anybody knows any bands, you know, that are playing today with no original members, email me and let me know. That way I'll add them into it. You know, they got to be hard rock and heavy metal. I mean, I know there's a lot of other genres of bands that do that. Yeah. You know, the Village people have been going on in Menudo for like the last 35, 40 years with all different people in there. But get me some hard rock and metal bands and no original members still playing today, and I'll put them in the show. That'll be interesting. Funny. Yeah, and just a word to the bands that keep emailing me on the Facebook page. I know I complained about this before. If you're going to email me on, on the Heavy Metal Mayhem Facebook page and ask me to play your band's music, don't send me a YouTube video that I got to convert. Don't send me some crazy file format that I got to look into. Send me your whole album. Right. Send me the digital, the hard copy, and like the page. If you don't like the page and you ask me to do your favor and play your music, I have no intention on playing it. So yeah. the three bands that emailed me in the last couple of days over this weekend, and you know who you are, I'm not going to even bother playing you on the show because you didn't even have the decency to like the page. And you know what's funny, Pete? I got people that spam that page all day long. You know, I, I saw this on Dr. Oz and look at this diet product. They even like the page. The people that spam me at least have the decency to like the page before they spam me. So come on. 
Yeah. I'm working with you. Work with me. Do me a favor. Click the like button. It's not that hard. Okay. <laughs> you could you could you could delete it five days later after I play you, but just at least like it for the week. At least, yeah. You know, you know, so there you go. So those bands won't be getting played. All right, well, enough of that bullshit. But we're gonna have that interview with Zach Stevens coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We're gonna do a few more tunes between now and then. Uh I don't know. Not much going on in the world of metal this week, you know. Not a lot, no. Yeah, it's pretty quiet out there. You know, Kenny will give us uh, an update on what's happening, what he finds interesting this week a little later, but nothing else caught my attention this week, you know, so I don't know. I'm, I'm dying to hit that new Queensryche. I keep hearing more and more about it. They get, like, little bits and pieces out into the press, mm. and it's kind of piquing my interest over here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, you sound like you're all exhausted, so I'm going to get on another tune, too. <laughs> I just woke from a nap, sorry. All right, that's okay. <laughs> I thought you were just taking a nap right now, but we'll no, get on some, no, no, no. <laughs> we'll get on some Fates Warning. Hey, you go the first record, right. Night on Brocken.
was Staten Island's own Kill Van Cull with Burn It Up. That album was, uh, that was off the Eye of the Storm record from back in 87. It's hard to believe that's 26 years ago. But yeah. the band has gotten together on and off over you know the last two or three decades. Uh, they put a record out, I think, in 2006 or seven. I never even heard it or, or picked it up, but I know they got a saxophone player in the band now. So yeah. I think they kind of went in a different direction. Maybe they went in the Queensryche direction when Jeff was playing the saxophone. I don't know. Oh my god! Yeah, but I like. I'm gonna go look for that record or see if I can find a couple of tunes maybe on uh, YouTube. I, I can't get tired of going to YouTube. You ever go to YouTube watch a video and everybody's got an ad on in front of the video? Yeah, you know, it's it, annoying. I think that's the most ridiculous thing. It's like people playing music videos and making money off of them when you know they're not even their videos or their music. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get like I go there, I click on one video, you gotta watch an ad. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this! I, I shut it off and I don't even bother no more. But I'm going to go look for some Kilvin call on there. See what I can dig up. <laughs> Who knows? How they, could, how they get away with it. Sometimes they just uh, they just attach it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, to me. And it, they don't even tell the bands, like, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, th- these people are making money playing videos with other bands. Uh, you know, it's not like it's MTV or VH1 where, you know, the bands are getting paid or, you know... It's yeah. a, it's you. It's like people's personal accounts, you know, and they're just playing videos, and they're making you. You got to watch it before you watch a twenty-year-old cheap trick video. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. So I was like, I, I go on there once, but I can't find the video without an ad. I just shut it off and I give up, and I don't even bother anymore. And yeah, it is a pain in the neck. Absolutely ridiculous. I can't make him blog talk radio when they show your commercial before the show starts, and that's just one commercial before it. We can't help that. Actually, you know. I enjoy it actually because I make money off of that. But, you know, other than that, no, I'm just kidding. But they play one video, they play one commercial every show, like in the podcast, not the live show, but in the podcast. Right. right. So I mean, you know what? You wait 30 seconds and it's all of you. Never hear another one. So. Yeah, it's not ad nauseum. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? I guess we have no choice in the matter. It's the world we live in today. It's a commercialized world. Everybody's trying to make a buck. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. Or a couple of pennies. You know, that's really all you get. But. Yeah, well, it adds up, I guess. It sure does. Every month it adds up. Adds up in time and patience. That's killing me. All right, never mind. I'm just in a bad mood today. I don't know. I hear you. Yeah, it's ripping. Hear that, um, Nico McBrain kind of uh, chimed in on the whole drummer situation. I guess he's trying to uh, trying to tell him, you know, I ain't made him. You know, don't fuck with me. You know. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't even hear nothing about that. Yeah, it seems that they must, somebody must have asked them one of these, another metal site asked them, uh, you know, to chime in about uh, Kerry, not Kerry King, uh, I'm sorry, Lombardo. Oh, Dave Lombardo, okay. Blair and uh, Bill Ward, and he goes, well, I don't care what she says or what they say. I think um, um, Sharon Osbourne had a lot to do with that as far as Bill Ward. Because he's freaking Bill Bill Ward. He's black, you know. He's one quarter of Black Sabbath. How can you have a reunion? Most pro, pro, quite possibly the last reunion of Black Sabbath, and not have Bill Ward. You know. True. I, I don't get it. I can't figure. I'm I'm dying to hear that record. You know, the, see what they yeah. came up with. I mean, musically it should be good, but I own. I mean, you know, you never get nothing bad with him. But Ozzy's limited in his singing. And, you know, the drums do make a difference sometimes. You know, you listen to other people playing Black Sabbath, the drum parts. Yeah. It doesn't sound like Bill Ward, so. I mean, if you told me Dave Lombardo was playing with Black Sabbath, then I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I can understand, you know. Yeah. you got to use a, a replacement. You pick somebody who, you know, would would give it, you know, some, 
you know, would give it some class, you know what I mean? Or, or if they got somebody renowned, you know, who can step in. But, I mean, all right, I'm not going to say anything bad about the kid who plays with, uh, you know, the band that they have, uh, I mean, the, the drummer that they have now. But, you know, it, it's not the same, you know? I know. And we'll see what happens when they go out on tour and, you know, if people are going to show up in droves, you know, with the, without yeah. the award. We'll find out then. And how Slayer can, you know, and then he also mentions that, I mean, Dave just looked at his financials now. You know, what's, you know, what? Yeah, there's more what, to that. You, it'll come out that? of it. There's yeah. more to it. But you know what? Slayer went on for years and years and years without <laughs> Dave and the band, you know, yeah, back in the day, you know, they went to a bunch of different drummers, so it's no different, but... Yeah, well, now, like, see, now now you think maybe there were those years when he left because, you know, for creative differences or because his wife wanted him to settle down. Maybe that was bullshit. Maybe it was financially back then, you know, the same It's thing. always financial. You know that. Creative differences is just another term for, for yeah. money. That's all it ever comes down to. Yeah, because then he went out and did the... Uh, the Grip Incorporated stuff, and it was very similar to, you know, to Slayer in vain. So how could you say that, you know? I know. And I know you're waiting for a reunion with those guys, too, so. The Grip? Uh, yeah. Well, without the singer, right? Obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot that, huh? <laughs> no, I didn't say it. No, I'm just saying when they when he went to Grip. Yeah. Right at, you know, when he left Slayer. Exactly. He reformed Grip Incorporated, That's and right. it was some um, very similar to, Slayer. you know, it was in the same genre as Slayer. If not, it was better technically, you know, musically technically better than Slayer. I anyway, so, all right, you know what? We're gonna do our demolition segment. Get that out of the way because cool. we got Zach Stevens from Circle to Circle coming up. So uh, this week, I figure since it's March. St. Patty's Day is coming up in about another week or so. I think it's on a Sunday. Yeah, I think we'll do a band out of Ireland. This is the band called Evil Priest. Uh, they're like a thrash death metal band from back in the day. Put out some demo tapes. I think we get it on this Sunday instead of you know in two weeks on St. Patty's Day because I think you know, the Irish will be so inebriated that they won't they won't even know what they're listening to. So <laughs> we'll give them a shot now while they're still a little sober, and we'll get it off here. But head over to the Heavy Metal Mayhem blog spot. Download yourself a copy of the Evil Priest demo tape. Here's a song called Bloodbath, and we're going to get to Zach's right after this. So here you go. Thank you. 
Hey, Zach, is that you? This is Mike. Yes, it is. Hey, so how you doing, Zach? How are you? Good. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, pleasure. Uh, no problem. Hey, listen, I'm a fan going way back to the day, and I'm always excited when you have an album out on the, any of your projects. But I know Circle the Circle is your baby, and, and Seasons Will Fall. I mean, it just seems to get better and better with each album by the band, you know? Wow, I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we you know, we're trying. Um, you know, definitely trying to do something special, especially on this album, you know. So, you know, just keeping on trying to put out the good stuff. Uh, well, you're definitely doing that. It's been a couple of years since the last record, about three years on there. From the time you started working on songs for this record until you get to hear the final product all produced and uh, on the CD and ready to go, were, were there any changes from the beginning till now? Are you happy with the way it turns out after those original you know, ideas come about? Well, we always have a little bit of a game plan going into each album about you know what we want to do different you know, compared to the last one. I think it's all about the previous album because you look at that, you look at the results, um, you know, you look at the music that you wrote, and you just say, hey, what was this record, you know, kind of all about, and, and what makes sense, uh, you know, to, to go with on the ensuing album. So I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, that which happened, you know, previously. Um, so we had our previous record, you know, Consequence of Power in 2010. To me, that's probably the heavy heaviest, you know, kind of approach that we ever took. So on this one, we wanted to kind of go, hey, how about something more like on the first album? Well, one of the things we wanted to do was have a little bit of each album on this one, which was a big order. But in order to do that, you had to even go back to Watching in Silence, which was the first one that came out 10 years ago, and say, you know, hey, let's have something that reflects that too. So I think we did that. We, you know, succeeded in getting something that you might have heard in Watching in Silence and a little bit of what you might have heard on all of them. So... That was kind of the game plan going into this one. You know, have a little taste of, of every one of them. You know, that's so true because one thing is every album, like I said, from Watching the Sounds to Burden of Truth on to The Seasons Will Fall, you know it's circle to circle. It's all familiar, but yet you guys, you you never repeat yourselves either. You know, you always move it on. You always progress it. And each album offers something up a little different. And I, I do think that this album is kind of like a retrospect of, you, you know, the last 10 years of putting albums out. Yeah, it's got a little, and it really, you know, I've heard a lot that, hey, we're hearing the Sabotage stuff in there, you know, hey, we're hearing a little bit of that, you know, Sava-esque, you know, stuff. Well, that's probably true, because if you go back and try to have something like the first couple albums, those albums had writers such as John Oliva and Chris Caffrey, you know. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, you had that taste. So, you know, of course, that makes sense when people go, man, I'm hearing a little bit of like that Sabotage thing, you know, you know, coming back again, and, and I don't mind revisiting that, you know, from time to time, and you know, it seemed like a, an appropriate time this time because it's been so long, um, you know, since you had that kind of feel that I kind of personally wanted to go back and revisit, you know, some of the um, nuances that I you sang like in Sabotage, you know. So that kind of stuff helped me grow. You know, I think I've grown quite a lot even in the, you know, circle circle, you know, type repertoire because it is different and, and uh, it's a lot different. So you grow when you do something different, but it's always kind of good, I think, to go back and kind of summarize like that, you know, so that was kind of the, the gist of what we did on Seasons Will Fall. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you were the voice of the band throughout the 90s, so I mean, no matter what you do down the road, what band it is, no matter what, pro it's always going to have a little bit of that feel because that's, you know, you sing from your heart, you sing with emotion, you can't move away from that, but do you ever worry about, like, I know like last year you guys did the whole Wake of Magellan record overseas yeah. and you mix in a lot of sabotage, do you worry about people 
like getting confused between the two. Or I mean, to a real mm-hmm. fan, there's no confusion. But or you, like, I'm just like like trying to like get people to focus more on the circle, the circle music itself, and I say, why well, I can't wait to hear like an old sabotage tune. Well, you know, I think that when people discover you know Circle to Circle for the first time, it's because they heard the band, and when they go back and look in history, they learn that I was the originally the vocalist of Sabotage, or, you know, the, the second lead vocalist that came along after John Oliva. So, um, you know, I don't think there's too much confusion in, in putting it all together. I think that what we do when we play shows like that, that's really a result of promoters saying, hey, what is it that we think we're going to get the biggest bang for the buck here? It's, a, it's more... I get yeah I guess it's more like promoter equals economic interest <laughs> you, know, yeah. because, you know when you do that whole thing you know we're a band that can go do that and obviously there's not really another band you know John Oliver's Payne certainly could go you know play any number of sabotage records if they want I uh, you know it's just that right now at this time it looks like Circle to Circle is about the you know the most available band to do it so they're taking advantage of it um, and it's fun too because you know we never get we never even back in Sabotage played the whole you know Wake Up Magellan album front to back you know start to finish and it's really neat to play it like that I never even knew what it was like till we started going out and doing it with Circle to Circle and it was like wow this is really like playing a rock opera from front to finish you know and it's so yeah. cool so so I look at that show as a set that's just a, a really nice piece of uh like a volume of music in a set almost like a show uh maybe a broadway thing as well as rock and roll concert you know after playing it a to z but uh you know yeah we have that and and geez you know we we have that whole thing and then after we play that we have to do the best of circle to circle so wow you know it's yeah. a lot to do <laughs> but sure. people keep asking so you know i get you know we've always been ones to go ahead and give the crowd what they wanted you know we want to give the fans what they want seems like they were very, very interested in that type of set. So, you know, we're even taking it a step further. This year we're going to play an Edge of Thorns all the way through. Oh, that would be nice. That would be great. When does the madness end? I don't know. <laughs> you know, you, you have to please the fans because they're the ones that are coming to see you, buying the records, and, you know, paying the money. But is it important also to please yourself when it comes to music? I mean, do you, do you find that you have to write, you know, for yourself first, and then if the fans are really your fans, they're going to, you know, go and walk for the ride with you? You know, that... You know, Mike, I mean, that's such a great point. And the reason being that it's so, that I agree with that wholeheartedly is because that's where your art comes from. I believe when you're going to create proper art, that really comes from wanting to please yourself. All artists, whether you're a painter or, you know, graphic artist or a musician, I think you really have to be honest with yourself and go do the music that's making you happy because you've kind of been there, done it yourself as an artist. And, you know, you have to please yourself, and if people are going to like it, they're going to like it. I don't think. I think if you go chasing at it the other way, chasing what you think people will like, that's when people lose focus, and I think that's when you kind of get lost in the mess. You know, true art comes from wanting to please yourself first. At least that's what I think. And then you're right. The fans, they will be there, and hopefully they will enjoy it. We definitely did that on Seasons Will Fall. We talked about it as a band. Let's please ourselves. Please put on something that I can put in the CD player and listen to. Let, let's yeah. do that as a group. And then, you know what? I bet in us doing that, people will like it. So, so far that has been the case. But you're exactly right. 
No, I agree with you because over the years, so many bands have changed up the style of which they played to kind of fit it to whatever was, you know, music has changed so much from what we grew up with in the 80s, you know, through the 90s and the next two decades. And they've kind of played whatever that was popular at the time to fit in or to keep relevant or just to keep afloat. And you can tell that it's kind of forced and it doesn't feel real. But when it comes from your heart, because you just want to try something different, or as you can tell, you can, I mean, as a fan, you can really tell that you know the that that's what you're feeling at the time when you wrote, and that's just well, this is what's popular, so I'm gonna write a song that way. And it's phony, but a real fan can tell. Well, good, I you know, and I hope they can tell that we, you know, wanted to have some true art, you know, on on this album, and really, I enjoyed it because we got to take more time, we worked with more people. I mean, we got more writers than ever before. You know, me and uh, Mitch Stewart, our bassist, he actually plays keyboards, bass, guitars. He sings with me. Also. I mean, the guy's like a four- or five-instrument guru. You know, so it's been kind of me and him, uh, you know, writing the, the re- you know most of the records, you know, songs for Circle to Circle. This time we get Christian Wentz, our new guitar player involved. We've got a great executive producer, our great friend uh, Craig Blackwell, who wrote two songs, Downshot, with me and Without a Sound. Uh, so we're bringing in a lot of good talent. Uh, we actually wanted to kind of expand the talent base to get a great team together because these guys work really good together. So, number one, get a good team, bring infuse more talent into the situation. Not that we didn't, you know, have that. that. Of course we did, but, you know, uh, you want to change things up after a while. You know, I think that's one of the reasons the record's so strong. We're not afraid to go out and say, hey, let, let's let's – see if somebody can really get inspired and help us by us inspiring them. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we did a little bit different on this and, you know, just, just one of many things and got to take our time. I enjoyed writing again. I didn't want to be pressed up against the wall. You know, with our previous label, it was already uh, for every year. We were putting out a record like once a year for a while. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if you remember sure. that. I mean, yeah. it would be, be a year and, uh, I don't know, a year and four months tops or something. This time, shoot, I think it was close to like two and a half years, and I really enjoyed it because I really got to sit back without that, you know, pressure and stuff and just, you know, got to relax and just write what relaxed, you know, came to me in a relaxed fashion, you know. So, you know, I just kind of enjoyed taking a little bit more time this time. That, that probably helped, too. Everybody got to just step back and know that you could take your time and make a great one. And that was, you know, we knew we were going to have more time, so the word in the band was, hey, use the time to make something great. You definitely you definitely did that. And if you look at it, it's been six albums in about ten years. That's really impressive, you know, in the industry today, especially because, you know, the record industry is like in shambles. There's no more major labels that with the support. There's not even like middle-of-the-road labels anymore. Everybody's kind of doing it themselves now Well. Trying yeah. to find independent labels was—is that a big challenge over the years? Like just trying to get the music out to the public. Yeah, because there's so much traffic. I mean, gosh, it's like, you know, what I kind of see, you know, you got bands everywhere. Everybody can do it. You can record at home. You know, you got good, you know, software and everything. Um, labels know that stuff, you know, can sound amazing, and it's a lot more, you know, less expensive than it was back in the old ways, old days recording on two-inch tape, because half my career was on two-inch, you know, Sony or, or Studer machines, <laughs> you know, with Sabotage. Yeah. And then at the, end of, at the end of the Sabotage era, then we switch over and all my records are, you know, of course on the way you record now on Pro Tools and all the, the software on, on your hard drive on your computer. 
and kind of trading around files. I mean, we did our record, everybody at their own house for a while, then we kind of come together to mix at the end, you know, at Christian's house. So, um, And I did the vocals in California, too, um, at Christian's. But there's any number of ways you can do it. It's called like E-albums, you know, I call them. You know, everything is done by <laughs> electronic yeah. mail, you know, or, you know, file servers and stuff like that. But, yeah, there's so much traffic, it is just convoluted as hell. Um, what we, But you know what? I, what we talked about in the band was it's probably going to get back to the way it was 30 or 40 years ago when it came to break a, breaking a group. You just have to plain old kick some ass and have the first with the most with the best, and you got to make it where friends, where fans go tell their friends something is so good that the word of mouth, which now equals social media, has yeah. to then kick in. So that's what it's coming through with all this traffic and a van on, on you know every 300 feet. You're going to you know have to be competitive, you know be out there, establish a name over a time period, make some good music, and I think finally you'll 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 have a chance. You make some albums, you know like we just made, but seasons will fall, and you know, you know you're going to have a a chance. But I think it's going to have to be like one of those you know 30 or 40 year old rock band things where you just have to be plain old good, go out there, hit the road, play all over the world. And somebody has to say, wow, this is really good, and tell a few friends. And now, you know, and that what that equals is they get on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and, and everybody goes, well, hey, y'all, you know, this is really good. So that's kind of what we're seeing happening. And I think that's, I mean, as, as dumb as it sounds, in, a day, in the day and age of social media, it kind of is reverting back to another form of, you know, what is good and, and what is not good in this sea of endless bands. That that's so true. I mean, you know, today we use computers, like I said, everything's electronic and digital. But it's no different than the way we did it back in the eighties. You know, we used to trade tapes, used to email pen pals and they would tell you about the bands in their area and you'd hear about the bands in your area and you would trade I mean, I remember getting the Wicked Witch demo like in eighty nine and ninety. So when when you joined Sabotage, I knew who you were from the demo tape. that was like your first, you know, introduction mm-hmm. really to like a large audience. And you know, I always say that it it has to be hard when any singer steps into a band to replace a well-known singer. It's like you know, it it happened with Iron Maiden and ACDC. It dozens of bands, but you stepped into a band where the singer was still active. You know, John Oliver was still active, maybe behind the scenes, and sabotage. So that really had to be you know, know, challenging. Like having somebody look over your shoulder where the other guys left the bands and never heard from them again. Uh Well, really, no. Now, you know, you talk about your situation as being a fan and catching us early on or catching my situation in Wicked Witch. I was, a, you know, an early on Sabotage fan myself. So it really was more of a celebration with the, un, you know, unbelievable aspect of getting chosen to be vocals of that band because I'm a huge fan. I already knew what I might want to do differently with vocals and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and I love John to death and I loved his vocal style. I knew I wasn't like that. So I had always had these like fantasies about, man, you know, because I was a singer anyway, so why not? I'm a big fan of Sabotage, so of course I'm going to think in terms of vocalists. I would sit there all the time and go, man, golly, I'd like to get a hold of that one. And I, I would do this and that. So, man, it wasn't really a lot of pressure at all. When I got in there, it was like, I cannot believe I'm finally going to be able to apply all these things that I really thought <laughs> that I'd like to bring to this band. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, it wasn't really bad at all, you know? But, oh well, strange hey, that- things happened, but it was really cool. That's right. Well, you know, I don't have to tell you, you've been in this business over 25 years. You know the struggles that come with being in a metal band from when you're starting out, even if you're established. It, it, it's hard. It's rough. Were you surprised when the Trans-Siberian Orchestra took off and you were like, 
Now, we, we're all metalheads. We've been playing in rock and metal bands our whole lives, and all of a sudden we're playing, like, you know, holiday music, and it's tremendous. Did that, like, bother mm-hmm. your mind at that time? No, I mean, I was all part of it, you know. I take part in all the recordings. I sing on most of the albums, and it was neat seeing it happen. I kind of, it was surprising to see what, you know, kind of stemmed from, you know, the Sabotage band, and then it being taken into a little bit different direction based on a, a famous a song that was really, got to be a big radio hit back in 96, Sarajevo 1224 off Dead Winter Dead. Yeah. So it was really interesting seeing what kind of crowd that you can attract by, by playing this Christmas music with a nice mix of guitar and, and orca- you know orchestration and, you know, a great idea by Paul O'Neill and just, you know, and I'm in the audience many times, you know, taking my daughters to go see them at Christmas time and I'm sitting by like a 68-year-old couple over here and, a, you know, some friends that I yeah. knew with John sitting, you know, writing back of me going, hey, how's it going? It's just the most wildest mix of... But it kind of opens up your mind as, as as far as what can appeal to, you know, what can what can come across and appeal to audiences of different age groups when you really wouldn't expect it. So, you know, I kind of learned a lot lot from that. It, it's amazing because I remember my parents yelling at me as a kid, blasting the sabotage record to lower it, and then I go by, "What are you guys doing this weekend?" Oh, we're gonna go see TSO Madison Square Garden. I'm like, oh, okay. It's like it's, it's amazing. I'm like <laughs> the same people that you were yelling at me 20 years ago to turn down. Now you're going to see them play live. It's it, it really is. It's incredible, and and it just keeps Crazy. getting bigger and bigger every year. Yeah, outrageous. But I'm glad you got circle to circle. I want to ask you about Machines of Grace. I know Wicked Witch kind of morphed into that many many years later. Anything going on with that now or in the future? Well, you know, we had the record in '09 because everybody's like, "Hey, what did you guys play? What did you play all those years?" When you were in Boston, so we did the album that had all those songs on it. So that pretty much summarized that pretty nice. We haven't really talked about doing another. I think there will be one. It's just been real busy for a lot of us, especially Jeff Plate playing in TSO and myself as Circle to Circle and doing you know other little things here and there. So it's just been a lot of you know well wanting to do it, but just not knowing exactly when. But it's definitely something that we we did not uh, you know put on the back burner, and I don't think it'll be there for too long. I hope you get something new going with that. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a long time. Zach, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but what are the plans for Circle to Circle for 2013? The year's just getting started, and I know you have a couple of festivals, but you think you're going to be able to get out across the country this year? Yep, we do. We have at least one, a couple of tours booked for September and November, which is late in the year, and then I'm going to try to move up from there to make a little run in July, just kind of hit some spots like Midwest, the South in September, the Northeast, the Atlanta, so we should see you in November. Great. Uh, coming up through there. And then um, right now we're getting ready to go to Europe in uh, for May, for the whole month of May, and then we're going to do South America. Include, you know, Brazil uh, is going to be June. So, And then, of course, right after that we'll be focusing on tours in America. And a lot of stuff with the record doing as well as it is, a lot of things are going to change. So, just we're, you know, we're going to let everybody know via all of our social media, our websites, uh, you know, things are like could change on a minute's notice. So we're looking to do quite a lot of touring all over the place. Probably go back to the Middle East. We just played Dubai wow. in December, so that was our first time in the Middle East. So we'll probably go back there. Um, quite a lot of interesting stuff. Probably two tours of Europe. We'll head back for the festivals in late summer. So uh, it's real busy. You know, we just have to get out here in this, in our own country a little bit more, which we've been doing a little bit more in the last couple of years. So I see that uh, continuing to increase. Oh, that's great. Well, you know what? It's always good to be busy in the music business, and you definitely are and have been. 
And listen, like I said, I've been a fan for a long, long time. I love the new record. I think it's your strongest one yet. And the best of luck with everything, Zach. And I'll see you when you get to New York, hopefully at the end of the year. Appreciate it, Mike. Always good to talk to you, man. I will be talking to you before too long. You got it, Zach. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Thanks so much. See you later. Bye-bye.
All right, there you go. Brand new Circle of Circles, Killing Death. This really is, I think, the band's strongest record to date. Like I said in an interview with Zach, we had a bad connection, so I couldn't keep it going. It was crackling a lot of static on the line. You know, if the band put out an album like this back in the 80s, this would be like a game changer for the band. You know, it would take them to the next level. Unfortunately, we're in a different, you know, era right now in, in the music business, and it doesn't work like that anymore. But it is a, a real solid record. So if you don't have it already, go and pick it up. But right now, Mr. Ken Pierce from PiercingMetal.com with our weekly concert calendar update and all the news fit into a 10-minute segment. Kenny, what's going on, buddy? Dun, da, da, da. Hey, what's going on there, Mikey? How are you? We lost Tommy already, huh? Yeah, he's gone. Uh, he's gone for today, but he'll be back again soon. And, you know, I apologize. You know, he... I should have introduced you under your new official title, and that is the Mayor of Metal. I just forgot. <laughs> uh, why? Now, why am I the Mayor of Metal, Mike? Because we'll talk about it a little later, but everywhere we go, you know somebody. They, you know, these are called sidewalk supers. But since we're a heavy metal show, you're the mayor of metal, and you were called that this week by somebody, probably yourself. But no, oh, <laughs> no, but one of the long piercingmetal.com fans called you the mayor of metal, which I thought was very apropos. That's, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's it pretty is. funny. It yeah, was. so yeah, and, you know, and it's always it's Tommy always leaves the show just when I got a great joke to do on you. You know, I got when I got one of these jibes I want to get you with based on something because. Okay, he doesn't have to be here for that. Well, I was going to say how how interesting it was to find out that you and Zach Stevens had so much in common. Why is that? Earlier in life, going through it with two inches. No, oh. I thought that was really good, and I wanted to, and I wanted to. See. <laughs> that was very good. And, and there it is—a a good joke wasted. Terrible. None of the listeners got to hear that joke. It's awful. That's okay. Oh, wait. They heard us. Oh, yeah. Ha, ha. Never mind. So, yeah. hey, you know, uh, you you were talking about uh, some news. And not a whole in, – in my opinion, not a whole hell of a lot uh, was happening. Yeah, no, Tommy was talking about Sabbath before and Lombardo. And I got to be honest with you. I'm already tired of hearing about both sides of those arguments. I really am. It's just like, you know what, guys? Get get your shit together and play. Do the thing for the fans. Don't Don't keep dancing, you know? I'm, sure. I'm just tired of hearing that as news. It shouldn't fill up the news feeds when there's so many other wonderful things going on in the metal community out there. So, But uh, apparently one of the other things that has happened, firings were were so fun to do these past few weeks and months uh, that uh, it seems like Stone Temple Pilots have fired Scott Weiland, their lead singer, and uh, they let him know that he was fired, and he countered back with, how do you fire me from the band I started and wrote all the songs from? So he's he's going to let the lawyers dance with him. And I know you probably a lot of your listeners are like, why is he even talking about Stone Temple Pilots? They were a guilty pleasure for me. I did like a lot of their songs uh, in the early days. And I think the first uh, two albums were really a lot of fun. So, But uh, clearly, Wyland is a pain in the behind. So well, be fired. I think everybody knows that, but did you see the follow-up to that the original article that uh, with, with his commentary on it where he says that he's not kicked out of the band, that the band just said that to generate publicity and to get interest going in the tour to sell tickets, and they've done stuff like that before in the past. He said oh, that really? about two days ago, and then today it was, well, my lawyers are taking care of this now. Maybe it took him two days. Uh, maybe if he came down from a high, he realized he really was fired, and it wasn't yeah. a joke, you know? Yeah, it's a, hey, hey, remember, 
Uh, Remember that joke uh, we used to do with get people's attention, Scott, where we said you were fired? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, April Fool. Uh, (laughs) But but it's... But it's the end of February. Yeah, well, whatever. April's coming eventually. So, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so yeah, so that was going on. And then uh, apparently the uh, the still lovely Lita Ford is all pissed off that she was on the D. Snyder roast. And I guess I guess everybody uh, laid into her on the roast. And so she's out there complaining that it was the most disgusting thing, and she hated it, and she never wants to be a part of that kind of stuff again. And maybe that's a publicity stunt for everybody to start talking about Lita Ford again. Well, you know what? If 10 or 20 you know, metalheads laid into Lita Ford, I'm sure oh. she wouldn't like that either. Oh. Oh, rim shot. She, she had a... <laughs> She had a cast of luminaries on the dais uh, digging into her. She had Eddie Trunk, Jim Florentine, Jim Norton, uh, Penn Gillette, no relation to Jim Gillette, I guess. And um, I got God, I don't know, I don't even remember who else was on the show. I, I watched about ten minutes of it and I turned it off out of sheer boredom. I hate to say it, it was not it was not a compelling roast to me. And you don't have Don Rickles on a roast, it ain't good. <laughs> That's right. Don, Don Rickles, man, you ever watch – listeners, if you think we're crazy and we're old, watch those old roasts and just to see Don Rickles. He's great. Exactly. <laughs> so. The old Dean Martin roast, the funniest stuff ever. Oh, yeah. Every time he, every time he would insult Frank, he would turn around to him and, Frank, you know I'm only kidding around. <laughs> he was treating Frank like the mafia. <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Anyway, so moving along, that's that was all of the, the things I, I had uh, noticed because it just was really a slow week and uh, – uh, once you minus the Dave Lombardo said and Kerry King said, and you know, I'm waiting for Mike Portnoy to throw his two cents in or Jeff Tate to throw his two cents in, and waiting for a third Queensrÿche to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's coming. Yes, a third Queensrÿche. Dave Lombardo, Lita <laughs> Ford. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So there, there we have it, and uh, so. Yeah, so did did you tell the listeners about the uh, the fun we had earlier in the week? No, we went out last Monday to uh, the, what is it, the Terry Terror 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 Wine Bar in Manhattan. There's a whole there's a whole bunch of them in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Uh, we went to the one in Murray Hill, and uh, they're doing this thing called the Metal Monday, where uh, they play. It looks like it starts at five o'clock from the sheet we have, and it goes till midnight. And every hour they play a whole album by a metal band, and there's all kinds of wine to try and sample, and there's really good food there. And after midnight, it's like request hour. You can request any songs you want or any music you want. It's a, it's got a real cool vibe to it. Nice place. Uh, we had a really good time over there. We did. We did. It's uh, it's one of those things that uh, if they do it right, that could work out, and it'll be fun. I'm going to have a a couple of photos just from us hanging out there with some of the fun and. Uh, uh, in in probably a little later today i just i just got tied up during the week and couldn't uh, put it up but uh went you know it was a good time it was a good time i like i like when different things are going on in the city it just goes to show you there's always something going on there's always something related to music going on and especially metal you know so but that's without bad. a doubt man and if you're around go over to 30th street and uh 30 heavy manhattan to the terror wine bar on monday night tomorrow night and, you know, you have, it's not just wine, it's you get beer and, and different mixed drinks. It's a cool atmosphere, you know, it's something for the older crowd like us who maybe don't want to bang up against 19, 20 year kids trying to sneak into a bar getting wild. And it's a great night, and they treat you really good in there. So definitely go and check it out. We're going to work out something with those guys having them on here, maybe to promote 
the business end of one a little bit more as we figure out a way of doing it because it's not that easy. But we'll we'll work out something. But definitely, well, you know, there's always out. there's always a way. Uh, there's always a way, and we could talk about that offline, definitely. off the air, because then it would. Because if we talk about it now, the the listener's surprise is ruined. And exactly, we've already ruined too many surprises for them over here. Well, that's because Tommy was on the show in the beginning, but he's off now, so we don't have to worry about that. Well, I don't want to ruin any surprises to anybody. So, uh, so do you want to hear what's going on in the in the world of metal this week? I always want to hear what's going on in the world of metal. Who? It's a it's a crazy week, and I'll tell you, it's already started, and it's probably he's probably getting ready to hit the stage right now. But uh, Stigma, featuring Vinny Stigma, they're playing over at the Bowery Electric. They're doing an album release party. This kind of thing has been going on since 3 p.m. today, and I wish I knew about it earlier. Uh, you know, last week, because I would have said, you know, I like to tell if there's something uh, early going on on a Sunday that the listeners can can rush to. But uh, it was about five or six hardcore bands playing uh, playing with him over at the uh, Bowery Electric, and he's got his album release, which I guess he'll talk to you about when he's on the show in a couple of weeks, right? He's coming yep, on. That's correct. And that's going to be a fun conversation. Vinny Stigma, he's seen it all out there, right? He's been around a long time, man, with Agnostic Front and beyond. He's uh. He's a part of the scene. He is the scene. Yep. So, uh, also tonight is Ringworm over at the Acheron, and Ringworm is kind of like a hardcore and a thrash band uh, all put together. It's got guys from Ripper Owens's Beyond Fear band. You got uh, especially John Compre on uh, lead guitar in that band, and uh, I, I was a big fan of Beyond Fear. I, I wish uh, I wish more doors were open to it when it was uh, when it was presented to the world because it was just really good shit and. Uh, but uh, we didn't get a lot out of them, unfortunately. But uh, some of those guys are now uh, working with the band Ringworm, and they'll be over at the Acheron out in Brooklyn. Tuesday night continues the Allman Brothers infiltration of the Beacon Theater. And just to not repeat it every single time I see a listing, I will tell you right now, listeners, that the Almonds will be there on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Friday, and on Saturday. So... Come once or come twice or come three times and make someone very happy. I don't know. Oh! Uh, oh. It's been a long weekend. Uh, Wednesday, night, Wednesday night, the beautiful, and this is not a metal listing at all, so I hope you don't get mad at me for, for listing this, but the, the lovely Dita Von Teese is doing her burlesque strip, strip, hooray variety show over at the Gramercy Theater. And Miss Dita Von Teese will be teasing it up for four nights. Yes, that's right. You can get to see this woman in the all together on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and on Saturday. Looks like I should have used the come once, come twice, come three times for the wrong listing, huh? I think so. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> I got to fire my intern. Hey, on Thursday... You know what happened? Do you know, Mike, that Music Row is gone? Remember 48th Street? I sure do. It was a hot spot you know, for every musician. The hot the... spot, right? How many stores were on there? If you had to tell the listeners, what were there, like 15, 20 stores? All yeah, related the whole block. To music. The whole yeah. block. Yeah. Music Row. It's pretty much gone now. Sam Ash has closed up their location at, uh, at, um, at Music Row, and they were pretty much owned most of the block at that point. Um, and they have opened up a new flagship store on 34th Street, down around 9th Avenue. Maybe it's 10th Avenue, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Anyway, they have opened up a brand new store, and they had kind of a soft opening. It was like open for business, but 
Thursday is the grand opening celebration, and they're going to have the mighty Dave Ellison and Frankie Bello over there doing the, uh, kicking off the opening event in metal style. So that's going to be from 6 p.m. and on, 6 to 11. So any fans that want to go down there and see what those guys are all about, I'm sure that a lot of well-known New York area musicians will be around there and uh, be good to snap some pictures and maybe even get some autographs of people that might be around if you're if you're into all that kind of stuff. Uh, hey, on Friday you got Wishbone Ash. These guys were pretty much the progenitors of the twin guitar attack before a lot of other bands were doing it. Uh, they are a great classic band, and they will be over at the Iridium Jazz Club, and they're going to be doing two sets. Okay, so now does, two sets doesn't mean you, you see both sets. It means two complete sets with one starting at about 8 p.m. and the other starting at around 10 p.m. Like all events at the Iridium, you will need a ticket for each sitting of the show. It's, they do that because the place is small. You know, it's I think Iridium fits maybe 125 people. So, um, but this is a full-on show of Wishbone Ash, and this is not one of those uh, Les Paul evenings where where the band comes and jams with the Les Paul trio for a little while. You know, a lot of people get to, uh, confused by that. They think they're seeing a full-on performance of a band when it's the, with the Les Paul thing, and it's just basically like an appearance. So, yeah. Um, so okay, on Saturday there's a lot of stuff going on on Saturday, man. Holy shit! The Deftones are over at Terminal Five. The Scott Weiland, without Stone Temple Pilots, will be sobbing it up over at Irving Plaza as he headlines the night and does his first two Stone Temple Pilots albums for their fans. I already said that Dita will be playing and uh, Allman Brothers as well. And that, my friends, is – oh, wait. There is one thing on Sunday coming up next week, and it's uh, it's Thor's Music and Art Festival at the studio at Webster Hall, and I say this one because it's a very early show, and it's going to be uh, – and Thor is the Tomatoes House of Rock, and it's kind of like a rock school held uh, held together by a Chris Harfinist, who they call Tomato on the scene. He's a drummer, and he gets all the young musicians together, and they some of these kids kick some righteous ass, and uh, that's how we learned about Shit Kill originally because that's of right. this guy. So, uh, so great to great to see that he's doing something and pushing uh, pushing all these kids forward. And that's going to be at 1.30 on Sunday next week. Uh, so if uh, if fans want to check out the future of metal, they can head over to Webster Hall. So that is all I got for you, my friend. And I always say, please, if you like – I know you're yelling, you were yelling at the bands about Facebook before. Yes. And, and, and it makes it harder for me to convince them to come like my page when you go mad at them. <laughs> Well, like I, know what anyway. I know what you're frustrated. I know what you're frustrated about. We talked to how many people at the at the bar event? Maybe 15 altogether. Yeah. And I had people. Remember people I was telling were typing it up on the phone as we were talking. That Not one just... single ad happened I after know. that. So I'm like, why you why are you pretending in front of me? And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't just know. nod and say, just nod and say, I'll check it out later. You don't yeah. have to pretend to be finding it on the phone for me. It's not impressing me. But hey, if you do like anything that we're talking about here on the program uh, and about the events of the city, you can find out more via my Piercing Metal page by giving us a like on Facebook, finding us on Twitter, and also giving a follow to the Piercing Metal NYC. Instagram, which I fill with all sorts of ridiculous stuff, but usually music-related 
things as well. And that, my friend, is all I have. It is, as always, a pleasure to speak to the emir of the Heavy Metal Network. Thank you, Kenny. I will talk to you this week, buddy. Take care. All right, Kenny left out the most important show coming up this week. I think it just slipped by his radar. Saturday the 9th at the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn. Hellstar, Attacker, Viking, Heretic, and Wrath. I know I will be there, and everybody else should be too if you're in the Tri-State. It's going to be a great show, so don't forget to be there for that one. But right now, you know, a lot of good things came out of Russia back in the 80s, not just all the welfare cheats and welfare frauds we have living in America, and especially New York today. Here's a band called Shaw with Age of Dismay.
Rye Buller with I Sold My Soul for Rock and Roll. Great band, man. That's got an old classic hard rock vibe to it. Uh, I got this interview right there with Alex Gutierrez from the band Martillery. They're a really great young Canadian band. And I did it a while ago, and I forgot all about it. I've been sitting on it, and I said, you know what? Let me air it now before it gets too old. So I'm going to do one more song. We'll go right into this interview that I recorded with Alex, and then we'll wrap things up. I want to thank everybody for listening to Case. I don't have the time at the end of the show to get back on here and talk to you. And I want to thank our sponsor, RockandRollEtc.com. I didn't check in with them this week to find out what they had to give away, but whoever wants some classic vintage 80s memorabilia, just drop me an email after the show, and I'll have them get you out whatever they have this week. I made a Megadeth, Metallica, Black Sabbath, Dio. There's a whole bunch of great stuff out there. And they'll mail you out a backpatch, a poster, or a chain, or whatever they have lying around. All right, so don't forget to get in touch with me after the show, and I'll, I'll forward their address, and you'll get something in the mail. But right now, how about we do a little blessed death with Eternal War, and we'll go right into an interview with Alex from Artillery.
Hey, Alex, how are you? This is Mike. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Uh, thanks for uh, this opportunity to talk to us here. Uh, no problem. I, I've, I've been following you guys for the last couple of years now. i got to tell you, uh, out of all the younger bands, the new bands that have been coming around in the last four or five years, I think you guys are, are the cream of the crop. i got to be honest with you. I really, really appreciate it. That's awesome. Uh, no problem. It's funny because you guys are relatively young, but yet you're so influenced by the thrash of the 80s, even the, the old hardcore scene that we had going on back then. And it shows in your music, but yet it's extremely vital and extremely modern at the same time. Um, yeah, I guess it's just, um, you know, it's kind of like what we keep saying in interviews is just, it's really natural to us is what we like. It's the only kind of music that, that really gets us going. And, uh, you know, people always ask, um, if we ever decided exactly what genre we were going to play or whatever, but, uh, it was never like that. It's just the only thing that we've always felt comfortable with, I guess. Was that, was that, was that style of music, you know, your introduction to metal as a kid? Um, I guess uh, it, it it's kind of hard to say because like uh me specifically as I was growing up I went through a lot of different uh I guess genres and stuff that I liked for a while um the first time I got into maybe alternative kind of stuff was probably punk rock and uh I also was into like some rockabilly and psychobilly like that for a while but when it came to metal I think thrash was the first maybe crossover punk uh was the first thing that kind of got me into uh, that side of metal. Uh, you can hear it in, in your songs and influence, and it's just it's fantastic. And Origin of Extinction, the brand new record, you guys are lucky because in the few years that you've been out, you managed to put out the EP, followed it up a year or so later with Murder, Death, Kill, and then the new record. So that's that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot going on for a band just getting started. Um, well, we kind of feel like it's kind of what you have to do nowadays. I mean, it's uh it's obvious that there's a million bands out there and and a lot of them are just amazing uh musicians and if you want to keep um your fans or whatever um interested you know you got to give them something to listen to you know yeah that you do with the new record do you feel it's a progression from the last album in any way shape or form it, it's it is i mean it's just a natural progression as time goes on people grow and uh music styles get influenced more heavily by, you know, they, they keep changing. Uh, uh, for a little while, we're into, you know, a lot of, like, power metal and stuff like that, so we might write a song like that, or maybe uh, one of us has been listening to a lot of um, just, like, black metal, and maybe a couple of black metal riffs will come through in the songs, you know? It's natural progression as time goes on, and we definitely feel like um, this album sounds more like what we hear ourselves. Uh, do you know what I mean by that? It's exactly, It's getting closer yeah. to it's getting closer to the type of songwriting that, that, that we feel really comfortable doing. Well, how did the band come together? Were you guys all friends, or did you know each other from the scene, or putting ads in magazines or papers? Uh, not really. Actually, it's kind of funny. I never, I've been in bands since I was a little kid, and, and it's always been, you know, we've always been friends for a long time, and then we decided to start a band. And I had a, quite a few bands in the past, and they've all been like that. This one, though, um, the only ones that were friends was me and Miranda, uh, the bass player. We met a while back and just uh, talking about music and things like that, we decided that we should start a band. So we did. And uh, every member, uh, originally the drummer, Max, um, she was a good friend of ours. And also the original guitar player, James, uh, uh, between the four of us, uh, we decided to uh, get the band going. Kara, we met because she heard that we had a band going and decided to come check it out. We've never met her before. 
Um, after that, the drummer, Max and James, left the band, and we just kind of put an ad out saying, hey, you know, we got this project going on. Does anybody want to come join? And that's how we met Kevin, our drummer, and Alex. So in theory, uh, you can say that the current lineup, we all met because of the band, and it was kind of weird. It was just a really uh, natural uh, meeting, and uh, shortly after, we all moved in together into a house, and we've never looked back. Hey, that's the way to do it. When you were looking for another guitar player, was there a height requirement? Because Zeller Alex is, is a big guy. <laughs> um, no, he's kind of, you know, a couple of people uh, <laughs> emailed us um, saying that they were interested, but nobody ever came. And uh, he, uh, when he came the first time to meet us, he had already learned five songs that we just had up on on MySpace or whatever. And so that just showed us how dedicated he was. And, I mean, he showed up, so, you know. Yeah, right there, that's cool enough. Well, you know, you guys, you come out of Edmonton. Uh, I heard they have a pretty good scene over there, but Canada is such a massive place, like, you know, to travel through. And, you know, when you get started, you always try to concentrate on your hometown, you know, the general area where you live and build up a following and, and move out. But what are the difficulties of, like, you know, touring Canada? Because that would be, you know, the first progression into getting everywhere else. It's, it's really, really hard. And um, in that sense, we've actually – it's probably the least thing that we've done. I mean, we've written a lot of music. We've put out some albums. We've, you know, uh, we got picked up by Napalm Records, which is amazing. But when it comes to touring, uh, we haven't done enough of that, and, and we know that, and it's because how hard it is. Um, the closest city to here is three hours away, and then the next closest big city is 12 hours away. <laughs> so you can only imagine how hard it is for us to, to get out there. And, I mean, there is a lot of small towns and everything like that in between, but but nothing major that, that, that makes the drive, you know, and, and the assurance that your show is going to be good and everything like that, right? Yeah. Uh, especially going, and this is in the West, if, if we want to get to the east of Canada, I mean, it's honestly shorter to drive from Edmonton to Mexico City than it is to drive from Edmonton <laughs> to Toronto. That, that's, that's one of the complaints I hear all the time from a lot of Canadian bands is the difficulty of getting around, you know, your own country to tour because of the great distance between the major cities. Like you said, you you can play a whole bunch of small little places for 10 people, but you want to get to where, you know, the major cities are, you can draw a, a bigger crowd. And that's, it, it is difficult, I can imagine. And without any backing from anybody, it's probably even more harder. Exactly, exactly. But uh, we got to keep on battling. we got to keep on making it through, you know? And that's all you can do. So, now, you, you know, the second full-length record, you signed to Napalm Records, a pretty big label. Uh, how did you go about putting out the first two? Did you do it on your own? Did you, you know pay to record everything and, and distribute it yourself? Um, yeah, the EP was actually just a demo. Originally, we recorded it just to have music up online. Uh, it was never actually meant to be sold, but uh, right after we recorded it, we had a, our first show as a band, and we got to open for Toxic Holocaust, which we were all super excited about. And we decided that we should probably have some kind of merch for sale, so we decided to... Uh, just burn, you know, probably I think a hundred copies of that EP and just made a hand-drawn artwork and sold the show. That's how that became. Uh, later on, we decided that people liked it, so we made a couple more copies, probably another 50 or 75 altogether with less than 200 copies of that EP. Wow. Um, we did that all ourselves. Uh, for the second album, same thing, uh, Murder, Death, Kill, we wanted to um, to do a real album this time. I mean, like I said, the first one was just a demo, really. So we all put our cash in together, and uh, we found a really good producer here in town uh, we, that we knew that he was going to be able to 
express what we wanted to to do. I mean, we were it's our first time going to a studio, so we weren't we needed some help, you know, with all the uh, equipment and everything like that. So um, we did that ourselves, and we decided to send it around to um, a bunch of different record labels. And uh, a few months later, uh, Napalm Records uh, responded to us through an email, and uh, it's all history from there. That sounds pretty easy, huh? <laughs> it's uh, it was kind of weird. I mean. When we started sending all the CDs out, we were just joking around. I mean, no, we didn't really think that was nobody was going to actually respond, but they did, and uh, that gives us uh, another um, boost of confidence that we needed to keep on going. Definitely. You know, you guys come into the music business at a time where, you know, you, you grew up with the iTunes era and, you know, really where the major labels aren't there to support bands like they did in the 70s and in the 80s. So it's kind of a do-it-yourself thing all over again for a lot of bands, and you don't kind of get that back. So having Napalm behind you now, maybe in the future, uh, what benefits come out of that compared to when you would do everything on your own? Well, it um, it definitely helps. Uh, it, it lets us concentrate on what we got to do, which is write music, um, because they have all the contacts that that all the know all the people that have the know-how on on this business, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, we can spend time uh, trying to get a hold of uh, magazines and, uh, and radio stations and everything like that, but uh, having the label behind us uh, really, uh, you know, gives us that extra push. It says, hey, these guys are, are for real. Um, you know, they're putting their name behind us, so that means that they trust us, and uh, it's, it's very, very, very helpful. Yeah, it should be. But what do you find to be the hardest thing today about a band, just trying to get the name out there? You have so much going on with the social media, but in the same sense, there's so many bands out there that you want to make yourself stand out. What do you do to kind of like make people say, hey, you know, here we are above all the other bands? Um, well, you know, I mean, it, to us, we view it a little differently. Um, it was never really meant to be um, to bring on the attention to say, hey, you know, um, check us out. Don't, you know, it's not a competition, I guess is what I'm trying to get at with, with other bands or with anything like that. We don't, we're not really trying to do anything special. We just say, this is the music that we like. This is what we like to play. We know that there's a lot of people that like this kind of music uh, and that they like it because for certain specific things, like, for example, the punk influence in metal, you know, thrash. A lot of people like thrash metal because of that, and uh, and we know that, and we and we agree. And so we're just doing what we think is it's, it's cool and it's fun, you know? Well, you guys definitely sound like on record. And, you know, you have a couple of girls in the band. You know, back in the day, it was unheard of, and they always kind of got looked down upon like they didn't belong. That's all changed over the last, you know, 20 years. It's gradually starting to become more acceptable. Did they find any resistance from, like, you know, some of the metalheads out there? Not at all. Everybody, I mean, that kind of question seems to come up quite a bit, and uh, we've never noticed anything that, that would um, suggest to that. I mean, everybody's always been super respectful and, and everything. I mean, yes, sometimes people make jokes and stuff like that, and, and, uh, you know, uh, let's say we'll, we'll all be setting up the merch table and then uh, both Karen and Miranda after that join us on stage and we start playing, you know, people are kind of like, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> but uh, it's never been a problem. It's, it's never been that somebody's ever been rude or anything like that. I think um, maybe at least here in Canada, it's it's it, it was never really a problem. It was just, it was rare that there was girls in band, but there was never a reason to say, well, it's because they're not accepted. It's just that they just didn't do it, I guess, you know, but uh, now that it's been more common, it's just, uh, it's it's cool, you know, it's, it doesn't really change anything, though. 
Yeah, and it shouldn't because I've never felt that way about music. As long as the music was good and I enjoyed it, I didn't care who was playing it, singing it, writing it. It didn't matter to me. But that was a big uh, stigma back in the 80s, especially for women that were in heavy metal that were playing, like, you know, real heavy metal, speed, thrash. It wasn't heard of, you know. Then over throughout the 90s, that started to change. And I don't think people look at it any differently today, no matter who's performing, like you said. So uh, that's a good thing. Exactly. Uh, I agree. I, I do wonder, though, what... What made that change? Maybe it was, uh, I mean, we can't deny the fact that it has been looked, by society, has been looked down upon uh, women joining and sort of things like that. It happens in music, it happens in sports and religion and in politics, you know. But um, I don't know if there wasn't anything specific that was holding, you know, women back to, to, to join bands and to do it, except for just how society viewed it. So I think at one point they just got sick of that and said, fuck it, who cares, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Exactly. That, that's the way it should be. I mean, I remember going to clubs in the, in the late 70s and the early 80s. Uh, I'm dating myself, but, you know, it was like a sausage fest. It was nothing but guys, <laughs> all guys in there. You, you would never see a girl in a club. And then little by little, when the band started getting more into hair metal, they started bringing in the girls to the scene. But for some reason, they just never accepted a, a woman on stage, you know, especially like in the thrash genre or the speed genre. I listened to you guys. I'm like, this shit is amazing. It's just such a great it just works. I don't know how how else to say it. You know, whatever you guys are doing, it's just working. Well, thanks very much, man. I think it shows that uh, rock and roll in general, it's it's in your heart, it's in you. It's not your gender or where you're from or or anything like that. Like, a, it doesn't matter what country it's from or what. You know, if it's good rock and roll, it's going to sound good regardless of uh, of who, when, or where. Oh, without a doubt. So what do you guys got planned for this year? Is there anything set in stone or anything we can count? I know we were talking about touring, and it's not that easy to even get around Canada. I can imagine just coming here to the U.S. So uh, even though we're not that far away, it's just a, an expensive proposition. Um, well, there's nothing set in stone right now. Um, at this point, what we're doing is uh, waiting for uh, Origin of Extinction to come out, which uh, should be uh, – uh, well, there's a few different uh, release dates, but uh, towards the end of uh, February and the beginning of March – um, as soon as that happens, as soon as the album comes out, we're going to see uh, how good the reaction is and uh, try to find out what cities are or what parts in, you know, in the States or in Europe are, are really interested in us and uh, try to make it out there, you know? Yeah. How was it like with setting up shows or, or getting on some, even some small tours? Do you guys find that you have to sell tickets and do the pay for play and buy your way onto a tour? Is that pretty relevant? Uh, no, here in Canada, uh, you know, we've heard about that, uh, that pay-for-play kind of thing, but that seems to happen a lot in the States. Uh, and yeah. Here in Canada, not really. The scenes themselves here in Canada are run by the bands and by the people, not really by the clubs. So I think that might be what the difference is. Um, cl clubs here will just, uh, if, if they want, you, you just go tell them, hey, you know, we got a couple bands that want to play, and they go, okay, cool. <laughs> And they just let you take care of everything. You book the bands, you run the door, and whatever. They just sell the you know. It's kind of, they do their thing, and we do our thing. And it makes it really easy because uh, we've been able to help out a lot of bands coming from Toronto and stuff that they're going on their way to Vancouver. Uh, Edmonton is a really good place to stop and do a show and make some cash, you know. And, and it's easy, and, and it feels good to be able to help uh, bands do that. So when it comes to doing the show itself, it's easy. It's getting to the different cities that's really hard. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, I can imagine. But that's a good thing because, like, over here, you know, bands are required to sell a certain amount of tickets to equal the money on the bill. They're not even getting paid. Most bands are playing. They're not even getting paid anymore unless they're, like, a national act coming through where they can negotiate, you know, a rate of pay. And I think that's horrible because it prevents a lot of bands from establishing themselves, 
you know, in different places and city to city. Because really, you put the album out there, whoever buys it's going to buy it, but it's the live show that people come out to see, and that's really important. Yeah, there should be, um, you know, it's bars that do that. It's pretty sad. I mean, uh, I understand that they're just, you know, every, every, and it is a business at the end of the day. Even the band themselves are just a business, right? They're trying to make uh, themselves available and at the same time not cost any money or too much money to their own pockets. But uh, um, the bar needs, you know, the entertainment. I mean, everybody, it's, they just help each other. Everybody wins, you know. And if you make it really difficult for bands to set up shows, then, I mean, would you rather have a full bar or an empty bar? You know, I, I don't really I don't really understand that kind of mentality. It's, it sucks. I know. Things are changing. It's a, it's a different world, and it's a hard world, but I got to feel you guys are going to cut through all the crap and, and do something about it because you got the music behind you. You got a great attitude towards the scene and everything, and that's, you know, you kind of need that today in this business. It's a rough business, and you got to be positive. You guys seem to have that. Exactly, and, and I think the best way to stay positive is just to keeping your head straight and keeping your feet on the ground and remembering that regardless of uh, how many albums you're selling or not, you started doing this because you had fun playing guitar, you had fun being in a band, you know, and, and if you if you just stay positive like that, I think things work out for you. Hey, well, I know you said this. Was, I know you said you were in a few other bands before Martelli, but was this the first like real band where you you know you actually put the time into recording and and doing anything on record? Yeah, I well, I mean, I released uh, you know CDs that we recorded with uh, with my other bands and stuff like that. But this is the first time that we've gone this far, and and I guess you know it's kind of like a give give situation. All of us noticed how good we were working together and and how much we were advancing in such a short amount of time therefore you're not too scared to be, uh, invest more time and and or of your own money into the band so this is definitely the farthest i've ever taken it with anybody and it's because i see that everybody in the band is putting the same type of effort so you know so you get really excited about it right you say hey we're doing something here and this is this is cool you know so you're not too scared to kind of you know, spend money or or take time of your personal life to to do it because it's it's working and it's fun. Yeah. Well, how, how about the songwriting? Are you the main songwriter? Do you guys all kind of you know throughout your ideas to split it up? You all get in a room together? Um, it it works differently. Like at the beginning of the band, uh, when we first started, um, I think the first like three four songs I I did write myself, and it was just to kind of express to everybody uh, what kind of sound I was going for. You know. And but everybody had their chance to to add their own um, ideas to it, and now it's it's completely a, a whole group effort. I mean, I'm, the way we write songs is just really by riffs. We start with a couple of riffs, either me or the other Alex will have you know just random riffs, and we show it to each other. And if we like it, we kind of keep working on it. And sometimes, you know, um, Alex will have uh, 90% of the song, and I just gotta add a bit of a, you know, chorus here or intro there, outro there, and sometimes it's completely 50-50, and it's really random. I mean, we just kind of we just kind of go with it. If we like the riff, we keep it, and if we don't, we just move on. Hey, well, keep writing the riffs. That's all I can tell you. Hey, Alex, I'm going I'm <laughs> to let you go, but I appreciate you taking out the time to talk to me today. I know you said the album comes out end of March, beginning of February, different dates for different places, and people are going to love this record when it comes out. I think you guys really hit the nail on the head this time. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, Alex. Thank you very much. Okay, have a good one. You too. Take care.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.